This is episode 415 of the AWS podcast, released on December 20th, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AWS Podcast. Some Leisure here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm joined by not one, but two very special guests. I'm joined by my old sparring partner, Adrian DeLuca, who's head of Partner Solution Architecture and Strategic Development. Welcome back, Adrian. Great to be back, Simon. Good to have you back again. And by a new guest, I'm joined by Eric Peterson, who's founder and CTO at Cloud Zero. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Awesome to be here. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for coming on board. We're going to be talking about all things sassy today, software as a service. And uh, Adrian, you know, I'm, I'm glad you could come back on the podcast because uh, you don't ring, you don't email, you don't phone anymore. Because uh, whilst uh, as my old uh, colleague, you used to live in Melbourne, the most beautiful city in the world, you've, you've relocated. What are you doing? Where are you going? <laughs> well, I, I can't afford all those SDD calls now, Simon. So that's why I haven't <laughs> called as much. Uh, there's no excuse, isn't there? We've, we've got you know, WhatsApp and, and Skype. Um, yeah, sorry, mate. I've just been busy with something called reInvent. That's true. That's true. And so you've relocated from uh, from Australia to the US. What are you up to these days? Yeah, we uh, moved over here in January. And now I get to have a lot of fun with uh, software builders and our independent software vendors who are building software as a service up here in, in Seattle, Washington. Beautiful. Well, you're not here for the dulcet tones, although some of you will be thinking, where have I heard that voice before? And of course, you'll see Adrian, very often on This Is My Architecture. But uh, let's talk about software as a service. And it, it's clearly something that's really gaining a lot of momentum. I'm, I'm seeing it in more and more of our customers all the time. Tell us about why this is the case. Yeah, absolutely, Simon. I mean, I'm, one, of the, one of the things I always say is, you know, software as a service, it's, it's not a sport, it's a lifestyle, you know. And we're absolutely seeing a lot more momentum around it. And if you just look at some of the customers preferences. And if you look at some of the recent reports and evaluations from from the analysts like IDC and Forrester, you can see it's a trend that's happening not just here in the United States, but literally all over the world. You know, being able to seamlessly deploy applications, just like you and I download applications on our personal devices. This is exactly what you know enterprises are looking for, that same level of agility, uh, the ability to adapt to you know changing business conditions, you know, what have we learned over the last uh, year around that? You know, really being able to deploy your software in a in this delivery model is really the new way. And what are some of the challenges you see? I mean, it all sounds great. So uh, if it all sounds great, why isn't everyone doing it? Um, what are some of the challenges in in moving into that SaaS world? Yeah, I, I think you know the first thing is that SaaS is not just a delivery model. You know, it, it really encapsulates the technology process and people. And frankly, for companies that have been traditionally building software, it's a culture shift as well. You know, it's a conscious decision that an entire company has to really be bought into, not just the software development team. You know, you've got functions like sales and marketing, uh, services, support, even finance from a procurement perspective. A lot of things have to change in order to be able to really deliver it with, with excellence. Now, Eric, let me, let me come to you. Firstly, tell us a little bit about your, your own journey and, and what Cloud Zero does. Oh, my gosh. You know, uh, SaaS really is a journey. I like, the, I like the, the, the thought that of it being a lifestyle because it truly is. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I started the software industry back when we were shipping CDs. And, uh, you know, and that good was... Uh, yeah, good times. good times, good times, you know. But um, 
you know, things have changed a little bit and I, you know, people get to a, to a point where they don't want to manage all that and they want to deliver more value to their customers. And SaaS is really, uh, uh, it, it's really kind of, I think, um, led the way uh, for, for how, com- uh, you know, how, how customers want to consume software these days. But it really is a lifestyle for, for, for the companies building, building that software. So for me, you know, personally, you know, my journey on, on just AWS started, gosh, back in, in 2008 when, when we could count, you know, the number of services on just one hand. <laughs> and uh, now, you know, with reInvent going on, I don't even begin to imagine, uh, you know, what we're up to. It's probably over 300. And, uh, it's it, a lot. It's it's a it's a, it's. A, I think at last count, it's it's well over 180. So, uh, but it depends how you count it too. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot. Yeah, exactly. You know, but you know, so we, we think about where we have come in just the you know past decade alone. You know, what what has really changed as people built software is that you know, in particularly in the cloud, every engineering decision has become a buying decision. Right. You know, your developers when they write a line of code, they're making a buying decision, and that was uh, why I founded Cloud Zero was to guide SaaS engineering teams to make great buying decisions, you know, to view their cloud spend as an investment. And CloudZero's job is to ensure that our customers get an excellent return on that investment. That's an amazing insight, actually, because I've, I've, as regular listeners know, I love talking about cloud economics and making wise decisions and saving money and, and the fact that you can do that as a developer where you couldn't before. And, and But I hadn't thought of it in terms of making a buying decision. And you're right, I think I think we're... We're asking people to make buying decisions often on behalf of their company, often for the long term, without having had the skills to do that in the past, just because they haven't been exposed to it before. Yeah, I mean, it's really something that that I think people are just wrapping their minds around. You know, thanks to everything that AWS has given us, we we find ourselves in a world where where we have infinite scale practically, but I still have not found anyone who has infinite wallet. Right. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> when you find you them, know, introduce me. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean we're set when that when that happens. But you know because it, you know so we have infinite scale, we have all of our problems solved, but we don't have infinite wallet. So we really do have to think about the the buying decisions that we're making at the same time that we think about availability and uptime and scale and performance. You know all of that has to be part of how you think about building software, particularly SaaS software. Yeah. So so we heard a lot about software as a service during the the Global Partner Summit in in 2020, and there was something called the AWS SaaS factory. So maybe Adrian, help us deconstruct that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually the team I've come over here to join. And, um, you know, AWS has understood the SaaS movement for a while now, and we actually invested in it back in uh, reInvent 2017, Simon. You know, <laughs> that's a long time ago <laughs> now. It feels right? like a long time ago, yeah. A lot of services have, uh, have been released since then. But, you know, we formally launched this thing called the SaaS Factory Program, which was really the helped or, or designed to help partners making this transition. And, you know, three years later, you know, through hundreds of engagements, you now we've worked with the likes of companies like Adobe and Infor and F5, Alfresco, uh, uh, and lots of others. And we've built a, a worldwide team of, of business architects and solution architects that, you know, we've learned a lot of the business and tech technical best practices. Uh, and we've acted a lot as advisors. You know, we've distilled hundreds of artifacts and built lots of tools and enablement workshops to really help companies going through this transformation with a lot more prescriptive guidance uh, and the confidence, frankly, that they need. I think that guidance becomes really important. It's, it's funny as I speak to more customers, you know, they, 
they want me to spend less time talking about, well, it depends, <laughs> and, and more about, well, here's an approach that would make sense for you. Uh, exactly. It's, it's kind of a different, a different mentality. So how do people get this, this uh, resource? It sounds pretty cool. Yeah, well, one of the things that we announced uh, was the AWS Satisfactory Insights Hub. Now, we've distilled a central directory of over 70 different resources that help you do just that. You know, it, it starts with a lot of the foundational elements, you know, to, to really build your business. And, you know, we, we really walk through things like guidance around business planning, product strategy, uh, roadmap development, how you do your first minimal viable service. And then, you know, once you've got your product, you know, how you launch. So, you know, we've distilled a whole bunch of different blogs, you know, webinars, uh, even analyst research, uh, learning modules, reinvent sessions from people like Todd Golding and, and white papers to make it a lot easier to find. So I'm, I'm wearing my Builders Got a Build t-shirt today. And so let's talk about the technology, Adrian and, and Eric as well. Let's, let's talk about some of the, the architectural concepts. Maybe, Adrian, kick, kick us off with a, sort of the mental models we need to think about if we're building software that is uh, SaaS suitable. Yeah. Well, at the core of any uh, SaaS architecture, it, it's really built on a lot of typical distributed decoupled architecture principles. You know, we consider all the same sort of things like security, identity, scale, uh, availability, you know, data management, monitoring, all these things apply. But in the SaaS world, the bar is higher. You know, unlike a lot of traditional software building where it's really given to customers for them to install, well, the person who builds it or the company that builds it is also running it. So there's a lot more operational elements that go into it. So service level agreements, you know, can, can actually vary by customer. You know, you have you know this the, the good old you know gold tier and 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 silver and bronze tiers, right? In the SaaS world, we call them tenants, and you know users subscribe to these services, which entitle them to different levels of maybe features, capacity, or even performance. And there's certain core services that all customers get. You know, if you think about, I call it the scaffolding, Simon. You know, it's it's the stuff that holds up the building. So if you think about authentication and authorization, uh, monitoring, observability, metering of resources, even billing, these are all things that every tenant need to consider. And my other big analogy I use for this, it's, it's, it's a little bit like the Airbus fly-by-wire technology. You know, when, when fly-by-wire was introduced by, by Airbus, you know, it, it took over a lot of the manual flight controls that, you know, that pilots needed to, to worry about. And, and in a SaaS world, we need to really bring a lot more automation and stability to these systems. So, you know, to bring that kind of increased safety that pilots would get in a plane, we need to bring the same thing to our applications. Uh, similarly, you know, if you look at, you know, the fly-by-wire technology, it, it was the same pilot experience across all their different planes. And the same is true for SaaS, if you think about it, whether you've got a customer that, you know, is, is using advanced features or has a larger pool of users, you want to give them a consistent experience. So, you know, really simplifying that experience for the operators uh, you know, of SaaS is really, really important. I think it's interesting that that change of delivery model, and, and Eric, you called it out in, in talking about your background where, you know, software was shipped on CDs. And if you needed new software, you got the new CD, you put it in the machine, you updated it, you had an outage, all that sort of stuff. Not, not the world we live in in the SaaS world. You know, people both expect their SaaS application to be available, but also it's always being updated as well. Yeah, I mean, when was the last time anybody thought about what version 
of you know the, the website they were running. Right? Nobody thinks nobody thinks Iowa's that way division. anymore. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, we've moved to not just SaaS software, but connected software. Nobody thinks about the the version of Chrome they're running, or or or, or really anything, you know, except for their maybe their OS, right? You know that. Uh, because they make a big hoo-ha about uh, about an update, but everybody <laughs> just expects the new features to to be there, and that and that we're in this state of constant innovation, constant iteration, and um, you know I think that's why a lot of the scaffolding, this consistent user experience that Adrian, you, you know, you're talking about here is really important because if you're going to be constantly delivering new functionality, if you don't have that framework, it's going to get real confusing real fast for your customers. And so this requires a kind of a, a different way of deploying. And maybe Adrian, let's talk about sort of the, some of the the key things that leap out when you have to do software development and deployment in a in a SaaS model, maybe compared to a normal monolith. Yeah, you're right. When you think about building a deployment, you know, CI/CD is just not negotiable. You know, we need to be constantly deploying features and innovation through these integrated pipelines. It's it's really code driven ops. Everything is automated and repeatable. When we look at even things like best practices, you know, include committing everything. You know, we talk a lot about this, right, Simon, as solution architects is, you know, in the world of infrastructure as code, you need to be committing everything. You need to make sure that it's all version controlled so you can test it. You can do those, run it through those regression suites. Uh, and as I said, you know, SAS really raises the bar. You know, the larger SAS systems get through more microservices, the more complex it becomes. So without automation, it makes it really, really difficult to uh, to manage. And one of the topics you, you touched on earlier was around was around tenancy. I think we should we should unpack that a little bit more because, you know, in our old mental model, if you like, I'm I'm building a piece of software and it's used by one customer, but that's not the case in SaaS if we're going to do it at scale and do it efficiently. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if as like I said, if distributed systems are the foundation of a SaaS systems, tenants are really the cornerstones. You know, they help us do things like isolating access from control, uh, managing underlying resources, and really reassure the customers that their data is safe, uh, you know, in, in those uh, areas of isolation. You know, and another important thing to think about is a tenant does not always equal a user or even companies. You know, think about an apartment block where people all share the same building, but they're all using different resources inside that building, things like water, gas, electricity. They're not using all those things in the same way. So when we think about it architecturally, you know, we, we think about a few different patterns, you know, and, and we talk a lot about the silo model or the pooled or bridged model, right? Silo is, is really using concepts like AWS accounts and VPCs and subnets and even container namespaces with ECS, you know, to be able to get a full working environment for each, every, every one. Whereas when we look at pooled, we start to really look at, can we start sharing databases and can we start bridging them together with services like AppMesh, for example? And so to try and solve for this, you've really been looking deeply at what SaaS developers need and SaaS organizations need. So you announced something called AWS SaaS Boost. Help us understand what that is and how we could take advantage of that. Yeah, one of the things that we heard pretty consistently from builders is they want to transition to these new ways to build, but Let's face it, a lot of them have a lot of legacy intellectual property locked up in their applications. You know, in some cases, it's decades worth of code. So what we've learned through hundreds of engagements and consultancy is we know what the patterns are, but we want to make this even easier. 
So what we announced uh, just last week was AWS SaaS Boost. It's an open source reference environment that's really designed to help accelerate bringing the traditional application onto AWS. And it provides a more prescriptive experience rather than just implementing our patterns uh, using you know, a tool with a set of core services that really help you know, develop and operate on the AWS cloud in a, in a best practices way. And so th- there's a lot of bits to this. So maybe let's unpack it a little bit because this is, this is real, no, no fooling running code that I can download and use and, and, and take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. The team's been working on this for a long time, right? So, you know, the idea is to bring that tenant-aware operations associated with building, deploying, and maintaining SaaS workloads. So it includes a lot of that scaffolding I was talking about, things like infrastructure provisioning, also being able to uh, manage the application runtime and the database, scaling it based on the different tenant needs and all the operational metrics that you would include to make sure that it's operating well. Uh, and we've even included things like metering and billing. So you can even connect it to Stripe, for example, and, and get billing going pretty quickly, which is pretty nifty. You talked a bit about multi-tenancy. And does this cater for that? And how does it cater for that? Yeah, so the way it works is that we package the application up. And what we ask is that we use ECS and Fargate. In fact, we're using our Fargate service to be able to take a manifest of the application and all of its dependencies and basically uh, run it in a platform environment where we manage all of the infrastructure provisioning and scaling of that. And you you mentioned that it's open sourced. Why was the decision taken to to open source it rather than maybe create a service out of it or, or charge for it or something like that? Yeah, that was a pretty conscious decision on our part, Simon, to open source it. I mean, first of all, we wanted to empower the greatest number of builders to accelerate their journey to SaaS. So GitHub just made a whole ton of sense. And, you know, making it accessible to developers to basically, you know, clone it, pull it, do what they want with it. Uh, You know, we really recognize that builders want to be in charge of their own destiny. So whether it's using the latest maintained version that's curated by AWS or customizing it for their own needs, the choice is this, you know, SaaS Boost is uh, being announced at the moment as preview, but when we make it available, it's going to be made available under the Apache 2.0 license, which is a highly permissible license to be able to modify it and use it commercially as well. Now, that's that's sort of building with code and, and building stuff. One of the things that we've seen that's been really appealing to SaaS providers is, is a number of services that, that make it easy to work in the SaaS world, things like, you know, event bridge, et cetera. Tell us a bit about some of the ones you're seeing being being really popular and, and why they're fitting into this world. Yeah, well, when you think about SaaS systems, they're, they're made up of lots of loosely coupled but integrated services that work together. You know, as AWS, while we provide lots of great services like Cognito for managing identity and CloudWatch for monitoring, SaaS applications really integrate with lots of other services, things like external identity providers or, or observability platforms. So this is what led us to build services really designed for SaaS. So when you think about services like EventBridge, which is our serverless event bus to create scalable and reliable event-driven applications, what we can do is create event sources between your applications and partner solutions. And by defining rules that trigger on certain conditions, you can route them to a schema registry to, uh, to custom code or build custom code to process it. 
So here you can use other AWS services like Lambda or Kinesis, um, SNS to build all that logic to, to react to it. So let's take you know, identity, for example. If we receive and process events to partners like Auth0 or OneLogin, uh, you know, all that can be integrated with observability built in. We also have you know, partners like Datadog and New Relic. You know, we support 30 different partner solutions uh, where we continue to enhance it. In fact, some of the announcements that we made, Simon, was you know, adding server-side encryption with 256-bit um, AES support uh, and AWS own keys. And we improved a lot of the resource policies between multi-account architectures. Yeah, I think it's interesting as, as these uh, both SaaS providers, SaaS creators and SaaS consumers work more and more together. We're seeing some of those those important patterns and those those behaviours that we need to see. And Eric, I want to come back to you because we've been talking a lot about architecture and you set us up really nicely at the start by saying that we want developers to make good buying decisions. You know, aligning cost not just to the overall solution but to particular tenants can can be a really important thing. But help us understand why cost in general but cost per tenant is important. When you think about it, really the best run SaaS companies in the world, you know, they understand their unit cost economics. They understand their cost per tenant. You know, think about uh, if you're Lyft, right? It's critical to understand your cost per ride or your Netflix, your cost per stream or your Expedia, your cost per booking, right? How you go about understanding those metrics, you know, making sure that they're part of your day-to-day operations really drives like just a level of excellence in your SaaS operations that put you above and beyond. It's almost like a superpower that I, mm-hmm. I think as a SaaS business you 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 have. And it allows you to see your business in an entirely new light because now you really understand, you know, the how your engineering decisions, like I was talking about earlier, you know, how that feeds into the impact to your, you know, cost of goods sold, your gross margins, you know, what, you know, what it costs to deliver your service. Those are the things that are really truly at the core of like what is a healthy SaaS business, right? And yeah. once yeah. you, you know, once you start thinking about those metrics, you're you're in a p- place where you kind of will start to wonder like, how, how did you even operate before? Well, it's interesting you say that because when you're having a chat with a CEO or CFO, they're never asking what brand of computer do you use or how much does my storage cost? They're like, you know, what's my mm-hmm. cost per transaction, cost per customer? So how, yeah. does, how does your solution help with figuring that out? Well, you know, this was one of the areas we first partnered with SaaS Factory. And, it, you know, Cloud Zero's relationship with SaaS Factory, I think, was really, really interesting on, on two fronts. One, Cloud Zero is a SaaS company, and we have a lot to, to benefit from kind of always focusing on improving our SaaS operations. But Cloud Zero is also focused on helping SaaS businesses themselves operate more efficiently. And so working with SaaS Factory, we're able to accelerate our view that every SaaS company in the world should understand what their unit cost economics are. And we put together a cost per customer or cost per, per tenant solution that allows us to correlate all of your AWS cost and usage data with your tenant and system activity. In fact, I'm really interested to see the kind of metrics that are going to come out of, of SaaS Boost because I think that can also drive this process. And when you correlate that information together, it gives you precise insight into your per tenant costs, right? You know, so questions like, what are the, you know, have you ever wondered, you know, what are the most five most expensive customers or features that you're delivering? Mm, right? mm. Like, imagine what you would be able to do if if you understood what your your most expensive customers are, not just some number that you've averaged out across all of your customers, but <laughs> the real actual, <laughs> you know, real numbers, right? You know, and 
sometimes the results will be really surprising. Uh, you know, just the other day, one of our customers was looking at the data that we gave them on our, our per, per tenant uh, costs, and they discovered that their actual most expensive customer wasn't even a customer, but it was an account that had churned, but they were still consuming resources, right? You know, <laughs> so just disabling that tenant was actually an instant win for them. And, you know, that's that's what you're able to to look at when you start thinking about your costs, not in terms of the infrastructure you're using, but what it costs to operate your business, what it costs to deliver value to your customers. And, and Eric, you know, you've got a lot of experience with these new metrics that we're talking about. You know, in the SaaS world, we use different metrics like lifetime value, LTV, and customer acquisition cost. Tell us a little bit about how you see, you know, the customers that you're working with adopt those. You know, I mean, there's there's two SaaS companies that I think have the most benefit from this. You know, first, when you think about those metrics, are you a company that is, like many SaaS companies, are you in the process of raising funds? Or are you thinking about growing your business? Are you trying to raise, you know, additional money from from new investors? Or even some of the IPOs that we see today, people are hyper-focused on those types of metrics, uh, you know, LTV, churn, um, uh, COGS, gross margins, you know, often hear people talking about rule of 40, you know, how how you have these kind of magic uh, magic numbers that actually uh, guide you to know if you've got, if you're running a healthy SaaS business or not. And what I've seen is most people are taking kind of a, of a guess at it. They look at their total costs and then they make an average guess about what it's going to be, but they never really tie it back to the actual system usage, consumption of resources, how, how, how things are actually operating in their environment. And without that, they're really running blind. And I think this is why people really struggle with margins in a, in a, in a big way. And this is something that all SaaS companies, you know, new companies that are, that are new to SaaS or companies that have been building SaaS solutions for a while could all benefit from gaining some additional insight into. Now, Eric, you've, we talked a bit about containers earlier on and, and clearly a great way to build and deploy business logic and very useful in SaaS architectures. And um, I hear one or two people use a, a little uh, container orchestration system called Kubernetes. Um, tell me about some of the work you've been doing in that space because I, uh, I think it's really relevant to our listeners. Well, you know, containers drive so much of, of, of the infrastructure world. I think there's two just amazing technology trends that, most SaaS companies find themselves either working with containers or starting to explore serverless applications. But in either of those cases, multi-tenant activities are are just huge, right? The goal is how can we squeeze the most utility out of the resources that we have to be as efficient and effective at delivering value to our customers? Now, Kubernetes is an interesting story, particularly as it relates to cost, because when you think about the challenges SaaS companies are working with, particularly when they're looking at Kubernetes, they want to understand not how much they spent on you know that big Kubernetes cluster that they might be running, but they want to understand what was their cost per workload, right? What was the cost per unit of work or activity or or uh, you know back to these you know cost per customer metrics, and that's the most useful metric for your engineering team so that they can understand what they need to focus their feature development on or their uh, new, uh, you know, or when they're trying to burn down tech debt, you know, what are they going to prioritize first? And, you know, to get at that, a SaaS company has to understand what your costs are down to the pod. So we worked with SaaS Factory and as well the, the uh, AWS CloudWatch Container Insights team 
to integrate data coming from all of these different services so that we could instantly calculate what the cost per workload, cost per pod, cost per namespace, cost per label, and be able to give that insight. So the engineering teams now, instead of just thinking of, of this big black box of spend that was their Kubernetes cluster. Right? <laughs> that thing? <laughs> that thing that was you know just silently running over there, although certainly a lot of people are, are living to keep it running. You know, they can de-aggregate all that, understand what's going on inside of there. And because we so tightly integrated with the different services AWS, we had one customer who has, they have over 100,000 pods running in a monster Kubernetes cluster. It's probably one of the largest I've ever seen. It's enormous. And you know, wow. and they're they're in a position now where they can track exactly what their costs are down to the pod, down to the hour. And it's completely changed how they how they prioritize their engineering activity. That's very, very cool. So how did you deliver that? I mean, that's that's to it's interesting because you you're you're talking about delivering capabilities, but you're also talking about doing it at SaaS scale, you know, hundred thousand pods, not a small number of pods. Yeah, you know, so a lot of a lot of people seem to want to attach something to your Kubernetes cluster, right? They want to give you an agent, get you to deploy more software. All that comes at a cost as well. You know, there's operational overhead. There's other things you have to worry about. Then there's security challenges, you know, and we wanted to make it really simple. We often start, you know, I think it's really important when you're building functionality, you start with your customer's experience in mind and you want to make it as easy as possible, not just deliver value, but how to, how, easy is it to consume that value? And um, and what we went looking for is, you know, what are the things that we don't have to build? What are the things that could provide the data we need in order to make these calculations? And SaaS Factory introduced us to the CloudWatch team and the Container Insights team and said, you know, I, I think this the data they have the data you need. I think we can we can kind of broker a, a an integration here. And it allowed us to bring our container Kubernetes cost solution to market probably in half the time. Wow. You know, both the cost per tenant solution that I spoke about earlier and the Kubernetes cost solution, both of those were were new offerings that we launched this year, both in partnership with SaaS Factory. And, uh, uh, you know, and that being able to deliver so much value in such a short period of time was, I think, one of the big reasons why uh, uh, people are really looking to work with SaaS Factory. It's, you know, it's always good to get some help. And I think... Uh... Adrian, there's other ways to get help as well through consulting partners, aren't there? Yeah, it's right, Simon. I mean, earlier this year, we announced what's called the AWS Partner SaaS Competency, and it recognizes our consulting partners with deep expertise in being able to design and build SaaS native solutions on AWS. Uh, and it's really come a long way. We introduced it in April, and you know, we've got 27 partners now in the, in the program today, which is great to see. It's amazing. So you can, you can call on them. But also, if you just want to learn yourself, there's more in terms of the AWS Well-Architected Framework, which, of course, we've had many episodes on this podcast about. But uh, there's a new lens that I think is worth us uh, briefly talking about. Well, it wouldn't be reInvent without some more surprises, right, Simon? So uh, you're <laughs> right. I mean, your, your listeners have obviously heard about well architected, hopefully they're using it as well. You know, it's our it's our set of architectural best practices for designing and operating systems in the cloud. But what we thought we'd do is how could we really distill some of the tenant goodness that we were talking about into even deeper set of prescriptive guidance. So extending on those pillars of reliability, security, efficiency, and cost effectiveness, we've now added this thing called the, the SaaS lens. And 
It includes things like monitoring the health of your tenants, you know, capturing metrics to actually analyze individual tenant profiles, uh, you know, understanding the onboarding considerations, you know, applying security context uh, in those tenants. And also something that's really important is protecting cross-tenant resources. You know, you don't want noisy neighbor issues. You remember those, Simon, from our developer days? <laughs> so, you know, nobody does, right? So, you know, really ensuring that you maintain all those pillars of availability in a multi-tenant way, but also that you make sure that you're aligning your consumption. You know, back to what Eric was saying is you don't want to be spending more than you have to for each of your tenants. So it even gives you guidance around, uh, you know, alignment to designing tiers and plans. And uh, can I get my hands on this yet? You sure can. It's available in uh, all AWS regions where the AWS Swell Architected Tool is available. And how much does it cost? It costs zero, Simon. You can use it today. Have fun. Go knock yourself Love out. Love it. Hey, That's Adrian, amazing value. It's a good value. <laughs> well, Eric, I understand why you'd like the phrase zero, given that part of your uh, part of your company name. Um, <laughs> Uh, Adrian, thanks so much for joining us again today and uh, look forward to at one point in the future, who knows when, uh, you coming back for a visit and trying some decent coffee. It would be nice to get it back home, not for Christmas this year, Simon, <laughs> but who knows, maybe uh, maybe before the sun, uh, the sun goes away. <laughs> and uh, Eric, thanks so much for coming on board and, and having a chat with us and uh, certainly it sounds like if, uh, if customers are listening and they don't know what their per-tenant cost is and aren't making those good buying decisions that uh, you got an answer for them. We certainly do. And it's been, uh, it's been a ton of fun speaking with you guys. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to visiting Australia one day when, uh, when the weather is nice and we can all uh, <laughs> take a break from, uh, from reality. Sounds good. The invitation is always open. And we do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do that. And until next time, keep on building.